Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Believe in USMNT podcast. And today we've got a special one for episode 10, the second half of the episode. I will be discussing the Dos Acero USMNT win over Mexico and the 1-1 draw against Jamaica and the November World Cup qualifying window as a whole. But prior to that, I'm joined by Tanner Tessman, FC Dallas homegrown, who moved to Venezia FC in Syria earlier this season. How are you doing today, Tanner? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I know uh, it's been a busy year for you, uh, and I want to sort of touch on a bunch of things. So uh, just to get started, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you started playing soccer, um, where you you know where you got that love for the game from, uh, and then we can move on to some other things. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I started um, – man, I started playing soccer since I can remember. I started playing when I was – three years old, maybe even two years old. Uh, my dad and, and my mom put me in a league and um, I was playing ever since I was little, me and my sister. Uh, my dad played soccer uh, in college. So uh, he kind of gave me that inspiration, but I played uh, all sports growing up, uh, excluding baseball. Um, so I was, my family is a big sports family. And then, uh, you know, I, soccer was kind of just uh, the thing I fell in love with most. Uh, I think I I had a bunch of friends in the, in the sport as well on my team that they were really good uh, friends of mine and still are to this day. So I think that was also a huge part of it, having the right people around me and uh, my parents as well. The the families of these kids that are, are really good families. So it was, it was nice to be around those people. But uh, yeah, I mean, since a young age, I guess uh, that's kind of how I started playing soccer. Awesome. And I'm going to touch specifically on, you said you played a bunch of sports. I'm going to get to that, one of those sports specifically. But, you know, a lot of people always say, um, you know, what would happen if our best athletes picked, um, you know, soccer more often? And, you know, a result, the reason that's not happening is because in America we do have so many other sports to choose from, so many opportunities for other sports. And you said you played a bunch of other sports. Um, do you think that gives Americans some sort of advantage? Because often in, you know, in Europe and in South America, Oftentimes you'll hear that these players solely played soccer. Do you think there is an advantage to playing a bunch of sports growing up? Um, I think uh, for sure for me, it is uh, my experience is definitely an advantage. Uh, just learning, you know, I was um, football gives you toughness. Um, basketball gives you a, a little bit quicker agility and soccer gives you a different type of brain and, and fitness. So for me, it was all, uh, it, when I played soccer, it, it helped me when I was playing basketball and, and vice versa with, with different things. Um, but I mean, I totally get uh, if you play soccer ever since you're a little kid, I mean, you can be really technical and, and very good in that aspect. I think that's one thing you see with Americans is we're very athletic, but I mean, I think we could all agree that our, our problem with the national team has been our technical ability and our tactical ability, which just comes from experience and playing the game and having the right coaches, which starts from a young age. So I think uh, it can help you and being an athlete, I think for basketball players, football players, um, other sports as well, playing multiple sports is really good for you. But uh, soccer is just one of those things where it's, you could be, I mean, look at Busquets. He's, I mean, he has no muscle on him and he's one of the best midfielders in the world. So you can have guys like him or you can have guys like Leon Gretzka, who's, 
really solid, big guy, super athletic. But I mean, yeah, I mean, soccer is one of those things where you don't have to be uh, super athletic to to be very good to be a top player. So. Yeah, I agree with that. And like you said, when you look at the U.S. men's national team, it does seem uh, it's pretty apparent, right, that um, athletically um, we are better than most nations. But when it comes to the technical aspect, uh, that might be where we're lacking. And you even see when you get some of the dual nationals, right, like a Dest and uh, a Yunus Musa, who, as far as I know, only played soccer or, or played football growing up. Uh, they're not the two best players on the team, but you can see they, they do bring something technically different uh, to the group of players we have. Um, when did you join the FC Dallas Academy? Yeah, so I joined FC Dallas Academy when I was 14. I guess it was in 2015 or 2000, yeah, 2015, uh, in August. But, uh, yeah, I joined, uh, when I was 14, moved away from my family, uh, was in residency at Dallas. So, and then at that point in your career, or, or even now, were there players that you sort of modeled your game after, or just players that generally inspired you, or did you sort of kind of want to take your own path and not really model your game after anyone specifically? Yeah, so I think for sure I had a, I mean, I guess you could say my idol, not really my idol, but a guy I definitely love to watch, and I, I try to take things from his game, and it's Paul Pogba, even though he's got a bunch of critics, and you can say what you want, but I mean, dude's a top player, uh, different type of player as well. There's nobody else in the world that plays like him when he's when he's playing well. But I'd, I'd also say, you know, depending on where I was, whether it was in Alabama or Dallas or at a youth national team camp, I always had guys around me that I was trying to take things from or, or, or you know, step my game up to, to try to be like them. But it wasn't, you know, fully to play like them. It was just trying to see what they are very good at and trying to imitate that and, and uh, use it for my advantage. So. Yeah, I mean, you definitely did well, obviously, maneuvering your way through through one of the top, if not the top academy in the United States. What was the, uh, obviously, I said I wanted to touch on one of the sports that, you know, that you mentioned you played growing up. What was the decision process like in 2020? You had the option to to sign that FC Dallas homegrown contract, but you had also previously committed to Clemson to play both soccer and be a, a kicker for the football team. What was that decision like to ultimately choose FC Dallas? Yeah, I mean, um, so I'll kind of walk you through it. I I, uh, I was in my, you know, junior year. Uh, coaches are allowed to start contacting you. And, um, you know, I had – I went on a couple of visits to some big schools, and I was – I was uh, you know, I had doors open to, to go elsewhere. Um, I guess my, my other main option would have been uh, Wake Forest or North Carolina. But, uh, man, Clemson – I knew from the beginning of recruiting that, you know, it was probably going to be Clemson, but I, you know, I had my doors open because I wanted to see truly what would be the best for me, not the best for my family, the best for, you know, somebody else, just what would be the best situation for me to succeed and be it and become a professional soccer player. And at the time, uh, and still now Clemson is a, is a top school in, in academics and football and also in soccer, which was the biggest thing for me. And um, I mean, they won the ACC championship last year. Uh, in soccer and in football. So I was going to the best team in the ACC um, in both sports. So um, it was going to be a, a great experience. And so I, I committed to go to Clemson uh, because I'd had, uh, I'd had more opportunities coming out of college. If I, you know, if I got my degree, I could do whatever I wanted in, in, in that kind of atmosphere in a job setting, if, if, that, if that's what it led to. Or if I did well in soccer, it's a top soccer school in the country. So I would have been able to, 
to to go professional in that and 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 um, pursue my career. Or if I did well in, in football and kicking, I, I could end up in the NFL or, or do something in, in that. So I thought, you know, Clemson had the best opportunity for me. But then, um, so I, I committed to Clemson. And then in, um, in, I guess, January of 2019, um, you know, I, I got called to preseason with the first team at Dallas. And I'd, uh, I'd been playing well in the academy with North Texas. So uh, I didn't expect to, to get a, a contract because there was a few of us that went to preseason. And, and I did really well when I went to preseason. I, I, I turned up. I, I did well. And, and you know, FC Dallas and uh, Lucci offered me a, a contract. And, man, I mean, I, I moved when I was 14, moved away from my parents, um, dedicated uh, my – my all my energy sacrificed a lot of things to to be a pro that's why I moved at 14 so when the opportunity was in front of me uh you know that's what I've been working for that that was my goal and and when it was right there I mean it was just impossible to say no and and you know I, I don't want to say I made the right choice I think my alternative lifestyle if I would have went to Clemson would have been just as amazing if not more amazing I don't know we'll never know but I think you know I'm very content with the decision I made and and uh happy to to keep moving forward and keep grinding so yeah, like you say, you, you don't know what that path would have been like had you chose the other option. But it seems as of now, things are going well for you since you've made that decision. And you you touched on North Texas. And obviously, that's something that's sort of just popped up for FC Dallas in recent years. And I wanted to talk about that because, like we've mentioned already, FC Dallas is, is one of the top academies in the country. And do you think, obviously, as a development team, uh, and you've actually discussed it, that some fans, you know, they want to see wins more and they want to see development. But do you think North Texas is is helping that academy transition like it helped you? Uh, it helped Pepe, who's likely on his way to Europe very soon. Justin Shea, who's probably on his way to Europe very soon. And a bunch of others. Brian Reynolds all, already made his jump with you. Do you think North Texas is adding even further to um, what how FC Dallas is sort of separating themselves from other academies in the U.S. and the whole system from academy to first team? Uh, I think... In my generation, for sure, I think the guys that uh they were playing, I mean Dante Seeley, Thomas Roberts, me, Brian Reynolds, uh, Johan Gomez, um, and a bunch of others. We uh we were playing, and at the time, academy was just not it. It was it was too easy for us. Um, those games and those trainings, mainly the trainings, those are the biggest things. But the 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 games and the training, um, you know, we were we were having field days, and we you kind of lose motivation when you're, you know, when you're dominating all the time, you, you, I mean, you need to, you need to take the next step and push yourself and struggle a bit and, and learn. So North Texas was the perfect uh, thing for us. We get to play with guys, older guys, bigger, faster, stronger um, guys with experience playing pro guys. We're playing against guys that have played different places, national teams, whatever. So it's, it's just another level of experience that you just can't get in the Academy. As of for now though, I think, you know, a bunch of teams are doing it now and, and they're coming up with this reserve league uh, next year, I think, or maybe the next year. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I do think, you know, Dallas needs to take a next step because um, USL league one is, is, is a good level for, for young guys. But um, I think even the Academy guys now can, can play at a higher level with USL championship, or I'm not sure how this reserve league will work, what, what the rules will be, but I think they need to take the next step up and, and keep pushing those guys because, uh, some of those guys are getting content at that level. Like Justin Che had an amazing season at that level. It was, I mean, he had to go to Byron because it was, it was just not pushing him enough. So I think uh, in my generation for sure, and, and now I don't know what's going to happen with these different leagues and stuff, but I do think that's what separated us 
uh, in the past, but now a bunch of uh, MLS teams are doing it in academies as well. So uh, just got to figure out what, what can elevate us even more. Yeah, that the reserve league was actually one of the reasons I asked because um, I'm from New York. So like FC Dallas, right, the Red Bulls have done a really good job of sort of graduating kids through academy to Red Bull 2 to the first team. Obviously, Caden Clark's on his way to Leipzig. Uh, but then NYCFC, on the other hand, in New York, they don't have that second team um, and they lose even the top players, right? Like Joe Skelly's gone on to Gladbach, but didn't get many minutes at, at City. Gio Reyna was never able to even play a, a senior minute for for NYCFC. So it's just, you know, locally, um, those are the things I'm seeing. And I want to know if you thought sort of that reserve team, that second team did aid in the ability to produce players. But nonetheless, even before North Texas, uh, FC Dallas has been producing talent. So is there something that you think makes that academy so special? Is it just, is that a hotbed um, for talent? Or do you think, I mean, there were five players from FC Dallas, FC Dallas produced players that played in the USA Mexico game. Uh, and then Reggie Cannon, who didn't get on the field, has obviously been a really big part of the Burhalter era. What do you think is yeah. making FC Dallas produce players at such a high volume that that sort of go on to, to the U.S. men's national team in Europe? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, man, we just did it different, I think. You know, uh, we were one of the first MLS academies to have residency. I think it was just us, uh, Philadelphia Union and maybe LA Galaxy were the only three in the country that had residency programs. So that already gives us a step above everybody else um, with recruiting players like me, myself, uh, uh, guys I live with, um, different players that, that moved in, uh, Brennan Cervania, Paul and Rule, a bunch of guys. I mean, those are some from Alabama, but there's others as well. Um, that, that definitely elevated the academy, give us a different look. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's just the people there, the staff, um, the owners, um, I, I tell you what, there's not many MLS teams where your head coach is coming to a game on a, on a Saturday morning when they play Saturday night to watch the Academy play. And that happened a lot. And, and it gave players incentive to, to see the, see the next step. We always talked about, you know, you, you want to play in the stadium every, every week in, in the Academy. I remember going to training and, and our coach, whether it be Lucci or Chris Hayden or, or coach Chewy Vera, saying, you know, if you want to be on that field over there, I mean, you got to do this or you got to step it up or you got to have more hunger. You got to do this. So, and then you have these guys, you know, that, that push you each week. And we had a really good group, uh, I'd say my year and the, and the two years before, maybe even three years where we're such a solid group. And, and um, those guys are playing in college. They're doing well and in, in other things as well. Um, but they're just great human beings. And I think that's what really separated us is just, the people, the staff, and, and the ownership, um, all focusing so much on, on the academy. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it definitely seems like a number of things that, that sort of separates them. And it's funny that you say that you think the residency program helped because you said uh, you think Philadelphia and then the Galaxy were two of the first or two of the only other ones at the time. Um, and then they're obviously producing the talent too. So there must be something going right from that. Um, and then, you know, you, you graduated to the first team and then you made the move to Venezia how has the move to Venice been outside of football are you enjoying Italy was it difficult adapting yeah I love Italy um the only um the only downside is you know my girlfriend's still in the U.S. so um that's I mean that's I'm, I miss her a lot and and you know I see her a few times she's been over a few times but uh besides that man it's Italy's great the food is amazing um the places like I said you know we get an international break and go to Milan 
I can go to Rome. You know, it's, it's such a great weather here. You can get snow if you go north. You can get a beach if you go south. The people here are amazing. The language is, is, uh, is very nice to learn. It's a beautiful language. I've been trying to pick up on it. Um, so in all, it's been, it's been amazing. It's just, it's just different than a, a U.S. lifestyle, but I knew that coming over here. Um, Europe in general is just, is just different from, a, a, you know, the best country in the world. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's different, but I, I've been enjoying it a lot. So. Awesome. And then on the fields, I, I want to ask a few questions about Venezia. Uh, and since we were just talking about FC Dallas, this is sort of a, a nice transition. What do you think um, would be the biggest difference in training and then games in Syria or, or in Italy in general, and then compared to MLS? Yeah, I mean, I think the intensity we had in MLS is is same intensity um, as we have here. I mean, if not more, I mean, we uh, we do a lot of running, we do a lot of intense trainings, uh, whatever. But um, here, it's just you know, tactically different. Uh, the style of football they play is is tactically different, and and uh, it's it's a lot more focused on you know what you're trying to do with the ball and what you're trying to do in defense and and making sure everybody's on the same page. So it's definitely, it's definitely a step up, a level up in, in terms of uh, the quality of players and, and quality of, of mindsets of players. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think that there's a lot of players in, in MLS that could, could make the jump to Europe and Italy. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a step up from, from MLS uh, in terms of training is in games, especially games. I mean, it's, there's just, I mean, with the relegation and promotion, it's just a lot more pressure and for the fans, for the owners, for the, for the players and the staff. So it's just a different level in, in that aspect already. And then, you know, the quality of teams and the quality of, of players at each club is, is another step up too. So. Yeah. I was going to mention, I actually had that noted later, the, um, the, the difference in the MLS schedule where uh, this season, anyway, obviously with expansion, the playoffs seem to change every so often, but this season, so many teams are just sort of fighting for that, that seventh seed, right? Just trying to hope uh, we'll get into the playoffs and we'll see what we can do from there. What is your perspective on the difference between, you know, obviously some teams want to contend for the top of their conference. Some want to get the home playoff game, but really finishing fifth or seventh and getting the playoff game and then starting a new season, essentially. What's your perspective on that versus you're heading over or you've headed over to Syria. And then with Venezia, every point matters, especially as a newly promoted side in Italy, where, uh, it's pretty rare to see the promoted side stay up. So you're you're really fighting for every point when you move to to a team like that. What's your perspective on the difference between a playoff system and then, like you mentioned, the promotion and relegation? Yeah, I mean, I think you know all American sports they have the playoff, um, so it's 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 normal for for it to be that like that in the U.S. Um, you know, I there's nothing wrong with it. I I just think as you know, you come over here and you see the passion with, from the fans, you see the passion, um, from the, the staff, the people that have lived here, people that have played there and, and the players as well. It's a different type of, of passion and want and hunger when you know that, you know, you could disappoint a lot of people. Whereas in the MLS, you know, you don't make playoffs. Okay. We'll be back. We'll be back next year, no matter what. And, um, it doesn't put as much pressure on, on certain teams and, and staff and players because, maybe for some teams it's normal you don't make the playoffs and, and whatever, but, you know, I'm speaking from experience from Dallas. That's not our standard. Our standard is to make playoffs and to make a home playoff spot. So you can see what happens when we don't, when we don't do that, or, you know, our coach gets let go and, you know, we're going to have player changes, whatever. So FC Dallas is definitely a club that is hungry and wants more. So I have that experience and I have that mentality 
whereas maybe other clubs don't. So coming to Europe, it's it's similar. We have that mentality. We want to win. We want to push. We want to do big things this year. But it's just a different type of, I mean, it's just a different type of animal uh, to get, to be able to get relegated in a year and, and know what that means. So, you know, I don't prefer one or the other. I just, you know, I'm embracing it as it goes this year. Maybe I'll have a, a favorite by the end of the year. I don't know. Awesome. And then right before we sort of moved on to the promotion relegation, you mentioned there's a bit of a, a different style of play, obviously, once you moved to Italy. Uh, and with a different style of play, you're going to have to make adaptations to your game. What would you say are the biggest improvements you've seen in your game since moving a few months ago to Italy or something maybe you're trying to improve on uh, upon moving to Italy? Yeah, I think uh, I've been adapting to the style of play uh, really well. I think uh, definitely in the last two months I've I've adapted really well and, and really starting to grasp a concept, if not already grasp it. Um, I think I've improved a lot on just defensive positioning as the six and as the eight, um, just where to be to cover teammates, how to help out the center backs. Um, it's something that I definitely could have done better in the MLS. And, and we didn't, I, we trained it, but we didn't train it uh, enough, I'd say. But uh, here it's, I, I've definitely been improving that. So that's one thing I'd say for sure. And then it's just a different style of play with the ball. So, you know, in Dallas, we had, we played with wingers really wide. So I was playing a lot more long balls and, and switching the field, whereas here I still switch the field, but we also try to play, you know, through the middle on the ground, uh, link up play more often. Not saying we didn't in Dallas, but I think that's another thing on the ball that I've been trying to work on is just playing on the ground uh, through the middle, trying to find key passes. So. And then you mentioned um, both as the six and the eight year positioning. I, I want to ask because when I watch Venezia, you have played as both the deepest midfielder and you've played a little more advanced as one of those eights, do you have a preferred position in midfield where you're most comfortable? Um, not really, not really, man. I think, um, you know, I enjoy playing the eight just as much as I enjoy playing the six. It just brings different things, you know, on this, as a six, you, you get the ball more, um, you, you defend more, but, um, as the eight, you get the ball maybe a little less, but you get to attack more and try to score some goals or make some assists. So, you know, it comes with comes with his perks and, and, and whatnot, but nah, I really don't have a I really don't have a preference. Just uh, being on the field is my preference. Awesome. And then uh, again, speaking of players who have sort of switched between the six and the eight and, and seem to be sort of learning the position that they they prefer the most, has it been made easier moving to Venice um, with Busio moving with you? Obviously, having another young American who you could relate to, who went through the whole American process, right, going through. I don't know if it was called SKC2 or Swope when he was there, but through the academy into a second team, into the first team, and then moving on into Europe. Is it made easier by having someone who could sort of relate to your your process? Yeah, I think for sure it makes it easier. Um, I'd say for sure it makes it easier off the field, though, uh, just like connecting on a social basis. And like when you see something happen in the U.S., like on Instagram, uh, my Instagram feed is different than these European guys. So I'll, you know, I'll wake up and be like, you know, did you see uh, Pepe got the young player of the year award? And, and, you know, the other guy, if I, if Busio wasn't here, they'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? So I think off the field for sure, it's just like, uh, it's nice to be able to talk about, you know, the differences and, and, you know, have somebody relate to and, and what we're kind of dealing with here. But yeah, on the field as well. I mean, we went through the same kind of process, uh, moved away from home academy, second team, first team. So uh, yeah, on the field it helps as well, but mainly just off the field, just chilling and, and connecting socially. 
And then, like you said, things are a little different, um, whether that be your Instagram feed or, or whatever the case is. I want to know, I think it was on the Orange Slices podcast, you mentioned there's no music played in the locker room before the games, but for you, <laughs> you like having your headphones in, you want to listen to music before the games, or I want to know what you're listening to before a game, or maybe when you're just at home relaxing, what is Tanner Tessman listening? Oh, this is, uh, see, I like all music. That's the thing. You know, I'll, I'll turn on my favorite, I guess, rapper is Kodak Black. So I'll turn on some Kodak Black if I'm feeling like, you know, spitting some, some words out. I also like the chill vibes. Um, man, I got a lot of different type of music, but also I listen to my sister's band as well. She, my sister, Ashley Tessman is in an all girl band called modern day flirt. And I listen to her songs sometimes. It gets me in the cool mood. So, you know, I, I listen to a lot of things, you know, country every now and then. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm usually on the top 100 of, of West Today's top hits. And I'm just, you know, scrolling through, seeing what kind of mood I'm in. Not too picky. Awesome. And then I want to ask for, you know, for a man that, that doesn't mind variety. Do you have an album of the year? It's been a, a big year for music. Do you have an album of the year so far? I think I got to go with Drake's Drake's album this year. Something was telling me you were going to say that. I'm not sure what it was. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> Drake's the goat. I mean, you can't go wrong with Drake. So fair yeah. enough. Um, I want to ask you um, sort of about like a, we're, we're finishing out this year. You've had a big year. You uh, you started the year in MLS, of course, your second season before making the, uh, the move to Venezia. But prior to all that, and you played in the January window. Um, I want to learn, or I want to hear a little bit about what it was like working with Greg, what it was like being with the U.S. men's national team. Um, sort of what do those windows look like, uh, and what did you learn from the staff? Yeah, well, first, I mean, it was an honor. It was an honor to be called up and, and represent my country. Um, as far as the staff, man, they were amazing. Um, Greg is a, is a great coach. He's a great guy off the field as well. Um, he, he definitely showed me love and, and support when I was there as well as the other staff. Um, the guys there too, all the guys are great. Uh, got along with everybody, super great dudes, uh, super intense trainings. Uh, you know, we're all fighting for a spot, fighting for our country. So it, it means more. Um, but overall it was, it was a really fun experience. It's definitely one I'll never forget, uh, especially having, you know, Josie Altador there as his last camp. It was uh, it was cool, even though he didn't play. It was cool to be around him, hear some stories. Um, you know, that's a guy that I I watched on TV since I was a little kid, and and uh, you know, he was he was kind of the U.S. men's national team for me. You know, so it was it was cool to to be around him and and share his last camp with the with the men's national team. But uh, but yeah, man, it was it was an honor, and hopefully, I can get called back up soon and and represent my country for another time. Uh, um, I hope you do as well. Um, I want to ask, uh, we're, we're sort of coming to the end here. I want to ask what your, um, you've had a big year, right? I, I want to learn maybe what the team goals are um, for Venezia for you and then some personal goals for you heading into 2022. Yeah, so, I mean, for sure, team goals is, is to stay up. Um, that's a given, but our, our team has kind of set a standard. We want to finish um, 14th place or up. So um, we're really pushing to, to, to get some points. We think we can do better than that. We think we can finish uh, higher. So um, we're not complacent. We're just staying up. We want to give these fans who haven't been in Syria for 20 years something to, to really celebrate for. But um, 
that's kind of our team goals. Um, personal goals would be uh, to start playing uh, as a starter with Venezia um, to get more minutes and, and to try to push myself and do well in trainings uh, every day, focus on today and not worry about tomorrow. And then, you know, with the national team, I want to get called into to the World Cup qualifiers or, or the World Cup. Um, we'll see how that goes. I mean, I got to get some playing time first here. So I'm, that's what I'm worried about. You know, the, the national team will come uh, in good timing. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, whatever happens, happens. And then whenever the 23s are, are playing, I know that the 20s got to qualify first for us to start having camps. But I guess uh, maybe at the end of 2022 would be some 23 camps, I guess. Um, yeah, I think so. So maybe, you know, get caught in with them, see how I'm doing and, and try to help that team push for the Olympics if the 20s qualify us. Yeah, and uh, and you were with the the twenty threes right when when Uli got hurt, you got called in, uh, and you worked with with Christ and that staff too, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I did. Okay. Um, and then finally, I think a lot of people listening to this will already know about Chump Chat in your podcast. But uh, before we sign off, I want you to, if you if you want, maybe talk about Chump Chat a little bit. Uh, I really enjoyed the last episode. I liked sort of getting that inside look into FC Dallas. So if you just want to tell the listeners about, about the show who may not know about it, the co-host, what you guys sort of talk about, um, feel free to do so. Yeah, for sure, man. Chum chat. So uh, it's me and my co-host, <laughs> Johan Gomez, and occasionally uh, Judson Burns, uh, mainly me and Johan. Uh, but yeah, man, we just talk about, um, man, all things sports. We've kind of narrowed it down to, to soccer on these last couple of pods with, with our guests and stuff. But man, we had you know, we had NFL guys on, we had a golfer on, we had, um, we had a, a woman's soccer player on. Um, so we've, we've had, you know, Dabo Sweeney on, if y'all want to go listen to that a couple college, uh, players as well. So, man, we just talk about all things sports. Um, our main thing is define your success. Um, so everything about how to be successful and, and what is success, we try to define success. That's kind of our, our, our main topic, but, uh, We'd like to have a good time. So if anybody wants to check it out, it's Chum Chat on pretty much any listening platform. Uh, Chum.chat on Instagram, I believe. And uh, yeah, same as Twitter. So check us out. I appreciate you letting me shout us out. Yeah, of course. Uh, listen, man, I, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about you. Um, hopefully you can get called into one of those World Cup qualifying windows or, or join up with the, the 23s. And uh, can you continue to get the 90s, right? You got the, the 90 with Genoa right before the break. You came on against Roma right when you guys took the lead. Um, heading into that international break, you kind of were trusted to short to shut down that midfield and you guys ended up with the three points. So like you said, you want to get more minutes um, heading into 2022. And I wish you the best, man. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, no, it's an honor being on here, so let's do it. Perfect. Thanks, man. Now transitioning into the second half of the episode where I'll be discussing the November World Cup qualifying window where the U.S. men's national team took on both Mexico and Jamaica. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the first half with Tanner Tessman. Uh, really excited to have him on as the first guest. I think in the future there will be plenty of more guests coming. Um, but I was really excited to to hear from Tanner Tessman. I'm hoping all the listeners got to learn a little bit more about one of the young Americans in Europe. With the Mexico game, let's start with the starting 11. We knew the day prior Greg Berhalter announced that Zach Steffen would be returning to goal despite Matt Turner's uh, good run of form with the U.S. men's national team. For me personally, I've been very vocal, uh, or at least I'm going to be very vocal now that 
I think it's important that we just recognize that we do have two strong goalkeepers. Turner is an elite shot stopper, I'd go as far as saying. And Zach Steffen is great with his feet. But I think what gets lost so often is despite him being, you know, so much better with his feet, he makes some big saves. In the in the Nations League final, he made the big save before getting injured. And then obviously Horvath came in and sort of stole the show in goal. Uh, and then this game, Chucky Lozano was through on goal at nil-nil. Uh, Mexico broke the press really well. Alvarez made a nice pass to uh, to sort of bypass the entire midfield and and get through everyone but our back line. And then I think it was Corona who just one more flick on sort of to um, Chucky Lozano put him through on goal. But Stefan comes up with a big save. Again, I think that gets lost that he is such a good shot stopper um, just because he's good with his feet and because Turner is so good and better. Um, at stopping shots I'm not denying that I think it's just that people for some reason have in their mind that that Stefan isn't good at, at keeping the ball in that when that is far from the case other than that Walker Zimmerman Miles Robinson center back partnership not all that surprised not all that upset uh, Miles Robinson was a lock essentially with how he's been playing for the U.S. men's national team this year Walker Zimmerman not surprised he got the start over Chris Richards I think in a lot of people's lineups they would have preferred Richards but I am not all that upset that, you know, Zimmerman went ahead and partnered uh, Miles Robinson this time around. Left back, unsurprisingly, Anthony Robinson. Right back, DeAndre Yedlin. Again, pretty unsurprisingly, we knew, you know, speaking of things I've been vocal about, I've been talking about Joe Scully plenty since the beginning of the season. I'm happy he got called into the window and was recognized by Greg. I'm not shocked that going into the Mexico game with zero minutes with the with the men's national team that Joe Skelly didn't get the call. Um, not surprised in the slightest with that. Midfield, MMA, just what we want to see. McKenney and Musa ahead of Tyler Adams. All three had a really good game. Uh, specifically, Adams sort of cleaned up everything. He looked far better than Alvarez, despite what I mentioned. Alvarez, sort of his pass alone in his own third. Uh, was really the best move of the game for, for Mexico. But I'd say Tyler Adams had the better 90. Musa, perhaps his best game in the U.S. men's national team. So good. Um, he had one of those things early, I, I've said in the past. I think sometimes he holds on to the ball too long, and he had one of those early on in the in the opening 5 or 10 minutes. Uh, he got out of it, but it's just it, it's sometimes shaky when he's in possession. I think sometimes he could release the ball, but... Um, uh, on this day, I have no complaints. Musa was really strong. Um, I like him with way out wide. I think they connect really well. I think it's even more fun if you add Des to that mix. Hopefully, we get to see that. I think Wea is undroppable. I think uh, even if Gio were to come back, hypothetically, um, or not hypothetically, I think he will be back for, for the next window because we don't have one in December. I think uh, if... Wea keeps up the form at Lille. I know he's obviously obviously performing better for the U.S. men's national team than he is for Lille, but as long as he doesn't get hurt, as long as he doesn't go through like a terrible run of form, I think uh, I, I'd have him start on the right, and then if Pulisic is healthy at that point, Pulisic on the left, of course. We'll see what happens with Pepe. Um, a mostly silent window for him. He was good in the first half against Jamaica, which we'll get to, but against Mexico mostly absent and you especially realize it when you know Raul Jimenez is the other nine because you see the effect he can have on a team who is quite frankly getting beat right I think that's something I want to talk about this was the U.S. men's national team really beat Mexico 
uh, in the Gold Cup final, which was obviously with an inferior roster than we're used to. And then in the Nations League final, it was set-piece goals. It was back and forth. Um, don't get me wrong. It's not like Mexico is scoring terrific goals against us. Um, you know, the Nations League final, their first goal. You know, just the mistake from Mark McKenzie. It, it, that's what I'm saying. It's not like they were beating us, but this time around, this World Cup qualifier, USA dos a cero over Mexico. It was real. The second half was the best half under Greg Berhalter. Um, and, and a lot of that is the midfield. Um, and a lot of it is Christian Pulisic coming off the bench and being the spark that the team needed. Uh, just going into that, I, I mentioned Wea started on the right. I mentioned Pepe. Uh, and then Brendan Aronson rounded out the eleven. I think this was, like I said, maybe some people would have had Richards in. Maybe some people would have had Scali in. Um, but this was a really strong lineup from Greg. I have no complaints. Um, and they, let's just get into the game. So, like I said, Stefan made the big save. Um, Mexico had that. Uh, they avoided the press really well. Like I said, Alvarez. And then Chucky was through on goal. Uh, Wea was the man of the match. Like I said, undroppable. I'm just going through some of my notes right now because... Um, due to having the Tanner Tessman sort of interview or, or having him guest on the podcast, I'm not going to spend as much time going through the, the World Cup qualifying window because, you know, I think people expect a certain length from this podcast, and this is already going to be longer, but it's important that I get out um, my review of the the window now and not next week. So those are some of the things I had. Uh, Anthony Robinson, for me, he's just a player that it doesn't really seem like he has average games. I think a lot of what he did this game wasn't good. I think a lot of what he did against Jamaica was not good. Um, and that's frustrating because he has really good games. And it's an, it's a little annoying that his floor perhaps isn't as high as the floor of other players. I think he's the player that sometimes sticks out as a player who is not performing well. Um, and unfortunately for me, that happens too much. I don't know if I see that criticism, you know, uh, in the USMNT community a bunch, but for me, I think Anthony sticks out often. But, uh, I mean, nobody had a terrible game. Like I said, MMA, the Musa McKenney adams midfield was perfect. Something I really like about Musa that we don't get from anyone else, I mean, we get it from Leggett, but um, Musa drops deep into a line with Adams, and, and Leggett will do that too. McKenney is not going to do that very often. Legit will do that too, but the issue is there's no point in dropping deep. Uh, I mean, if you compare what I'm saying here between Musa and Legit, Musa drops deep a line, gives an option to Stefan, gives an option to the fullbacks, uh, whatever the case may be. Maybe he just, you know, he's next to Adams. Adams can make a sideways pass. But the reason Musa is dropping deep is because the ultimate goal is ball progression. So when Legit drops deep, maybe that's the ultimate goal, but it's not often the result. And I think Musa adds real dynamicism to the team when he does drop deep um you know just dropping a line i'm not saying dropping deep as in deeper than adams but when he drops into a line and he's next to adams and mckinney's ahead of him i also discussed i think it was the first yeah it was the first world cup qualifying window the midfield feels empty at times that was far from the truth in this window or, or in this game i should say uh definitely not in this window actually in this game the midfield was really strong it was the high point of the team along with Wea, uh, those were the two biggest positives. Walker Zimmerman had another good game. I mean, that's a positive, but the the point I'm trying to make is so often in these early games, and it is more of an issue in the away games, uh, and even a, an issue when Weston McKinney is not playing. I mean, he had the game against El Salvador where he was not great, but it tends to be an issue more often when McKinney's not playing. I don't know 
the overlap between that and away games, so I can't say that, um, you know, the issue is because we're away from home. I think the Jamaica game, the pitch was tough, so I, I think it's hard for the midfield to connect, but this game in particular, Mexico, the the midfield was really strong, and it didn't feel like there was empty. It didn't feel like there was an absence in the midfield. Musa was getting on the ball a lot. McKinney was getting on the ball a lot. Adams was cutting attacks out for Mexico and launching attacks forward, as we've come to expect from him. It was really strong in the midfield, and I think once we start getting that, um, under Greg, we're not conceding terrible goals, right? We're not conceding goals at an alarming rate. The midfield is strong. And uh, I think despite not scoring often in the first half, uh, which again was the case here, I think, you know, once Gio and Wea and Pulisic and Pepe, I know they're not all going to be on the pitch at the same time, at least those four, right? Unless um, Gio sort of drops into the midfield. But my point is once these players continue to play and they are continuing to play and you could see, I think Wea and Pepe linked up pretty well this window, especially in the first half of that Jamaica game. Uh, and, and like I say, I mean, I think once that midfield starts really connecting um, and having a stronger influence on the game, I'm not terribly worried about the, the goals we're conceding. I think the attack is going to score goals. I think we have slow starts, but I think the attack has the talent to score goals. I think seriously, if that midfield becomes strong and, and maintains a, a strong presence throughout 90, we're going to win a lot of games, especially, you know, throughout the remainder of this cycle heading into the World Cup. Now, heading into the Jamaica game, I have far less notes here uh, for a number of reasons. A, most of my notes tend to be positive, as you can tell from the Mexico game, and obviously there were more positives to take from that game. But I think these away qualifiers are, are lacking action, and I think the pitch for the Jamaica game doesn't help. Um, and then with no McKenney, like I say, I think there's a big gap in quality between Musa McKenney Adams and the other midfielders. So, Busio, there was a tweet going around that he had very few actions. I think he actually played a, a decently important role in the goal. I think, you know, the quick combination in the midfield before the ball gets played between Pepe and Wea was really good, and I think Busio's involved in that. And I think if you substitute maybe Acosta, and I'm not picking on MLS guys, but if you substitute Acosta or Leggett for, um, you know, a player who isn't Busio, McKenney, or Musa. I'm not sure you get that. Um, so I think it's important to note. It, it's not like it was the the defining moment of the goal, but I think it's just something to look at. But mostly he, he doesn't have enough actions in the midfield as an eight. I think he's better deeper. I think he's too far off Adams to be considered the second six. But then again, all the sixes are too far off Adams to to really claim that that second six position. So I think Busio is stronger as a, as a six than he is an eight. I think he's not getting enough action as an eight. There were not a lot of duels, not a lot of tackles, not a lot of interceptions. So I think that aids in the fact that, or excuse me, it doesn't aid. It hurts the U.S. men's national team in the midfield. Um, and obviously if the midfield is hurting and, and not at its peak. Uh, Musa also fought through strep throughout that game. I don't know if it was for both games or just the Jamaica game, but he had to get pulled off early. So there were some negatives in the midfield. Um, unfortunately, McKenney couldn't play because he picked up a yellow card for defending Aronson, who got his, his eye clawed at in the Mexico game. So he was suspended. Uh, Miles Robinson was suspended. He got the red card in that late in that Mexico game for, for two yellows. Chris Richards stepped in in his place. But, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think I have less notes because there was less action. Uh, 
the pitch didn't aid in either team's ability to really play the ball. The goal was nice. Um, like I said, Way is undroppable for the most part. Um, I mean, if he's adding goals to his game too like that. Uh, I said this to a few people. I've seen Way get chances like that for Lila and not convert. So it was nice to see him convert. And hopefully if he can continue to do that for the U.S. men's national team and even bring that into Lille, I think he adds a lot to his game because in the Mexico game, he was trying to isolate the fullback and get across in. And it was super effective. That's not me bashing him. I'm saying it was a different style, it seemed. Uh, Jamaica, he was more threatening. Jamaica's goal. And then in the Mexico game, he was sort of, anytime he got isolated with the fullback, taking him on, going to the byline and crossing. And for the people who sort of wonder why Conrad doesn't get called in, and I still think he probably should over some of the players that are getting called in, um, Look at the difference between Wea's game and Conrad's game, and I think you'll have a really good idea of why Greg prefers someone like Wea. And, it, and it's not that they're fighting for the same position, but I think you see what Greg wants in a winger when you look at Wea, and I think you see where Greg has his hesitancies when you look at Conrad's game, if you were to, to take a peek at Marseille. I want to mention another note that I have. Um, Pepe was involved in the first half. Um more than he was at any other point in the window. And again, it was Wea that he was combining really well with. It's really promising to see um, uh, our nine sort of link up with one of the wingers. I think Pepe's going to be helped by Pulisic once they start to get a lot of minutes together. Pulisic likes to cut in. Uh, like I said, Wea likes to stay wide, or at least in the Mexico game specifically, he was staying wide, putting crosses in, which uh, Wea put a cross into Pepe early in the game, which he almost converted. Um... But yeah, Pepe wasn't getting touches in the box. Pepe wasn't overall that influential outside the box other than maybe 30, 35 minutes in the Jamaica game in the first half when we were the better team. It's unfortunate to Mikel Antonio's goal, right? It was struck from 30-something yards out. Absolute bullet. Um, you know, I, I don't think Zach Steffen could have done much about it. It's tough to see those goes in. It's tough to lose two points to that, but... Um, at the end of the day, the team didn't perform well enough to really deserve three points. So uh, when you look at it like that, it is what it is. But then again, losing two points in a World Cup qualifying window to a wonder strike like that is definitely a shame. And then other than that, I don't have a bunch of notes on this game. Like I said, uh, I'm talking pretty fast. I apologize. Um, I'm just sort of trying to run through this World Cup qualifying window because we're at over the 45-minute mark here. And, you know, I know... A lot of people don't have time to listen to, to a 45 to an hour long podcast, but hopefully everybody's stuck through the through Tanner Testman's appearance. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Like I said, I think there's going to be more guests on in the future. The next U.S. Men's National Team is a month away from when this episode is going to be released, I believe. December 18th uh, against Bosnia. So um, that's just a friendly. I think it's going to be MLS heavy. And then our next World Cup qualifying window is an exciting one. Um, El Salvador and Honduras at home. And those sam sandwich, excuse me, Canada away. So Canada away is going to be tough. If anybody watched the Canada-Mexico game, it's not going to be easy. Uh, we've struggled with Canada a bit anyway. So I think going to Canada might be tough. El Salvador and Honduras at home, if that's not six points, there's definitely an issue. Um... I think a seven-point window is really good here. Uh, I think nine's asking for a lot. I wouldn't be shocked at nine um, because I think six have to be confirmed. If we can't beat Honduras and El Salvador at home, there's big problems. There's big questions for Greg. So returning to that three-game window, 
I'm excited. Need to continue picking up points. Three at home, one away. Uh, that'll do the job. So getting pretty close to, to securing that, that qualification. Um, and I, I'm given confidence by the Mexico result. Um, but more importantly, I'm given confidence by the Mexico performance. So on home soil, gaining confidence away from home. It just seems, you know, it just seems like a guessing game with how many points you're going to get against any opponent, right? We couldn't beat El Salvador away. Um, Canada away is going to be tough, but we'll see. Uh, second to last World Cup qualifying window, six games to go. I'm expecting six points, you know, maybe seven in that next window, but we've got some time. We've got a couple months before we cross that bridge. So thank you all for listening. Like I said, really hope everybody enjoyed learning a little bit more about Tanner Tessman. He was a really cool guy, really cool to have on the podcast. So hope everybody learned a little bit more about him and enjoyed the guest spot because, like I said, I think there will be more of those in the future. Um, and this will be the longest podcast I believe I've done so far. So if you've made it this far, I really do appreciate it. And I look forward to next week's episode. Thank you, everybody. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube